0: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, a quadruple murder mystery that has gripped the nation. Four University of Idaho students found stabbed to death in their off-campus home. No signs of forced entry no signs of robbery. Fellow students, staff, and families left uneasy and frustrated with little to no answers as to what happened or why. Court TV's Chanley Painter, who was on the ground in Moscow, Idaho, asking the questions and getting the facts, joins us for an in-depth look at this investigation. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinny Politan. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinny Politan. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for downloading. And in this podcast, we're going to take some time to get into what is happening out in Idaho and what happened in Idaho. Four college students murdered in the wee hours of the morning. It's a, it's a, a mystery that has captivated the nation, obviously. Um, but no one's been arrested. No suspects, no person of interest. You've got a a campus that is terrified. You've got family members who um, are looking for some sense of justice in all this, some answer as to who and why. And you've really got a lot of people on edge. And there's a ton of pressure on investigators to solve this thing. And there's really two ways, I think, of looking at this case, this investigation. One, is is from the outside looking in right where we hear um what police are saying and what they're not saying and we're looking at little pieces of evidence that are trickling onto the internet and everyone is a is a um you know a, a sleuth a, a, a true crime uh, investigator trying to figure this thing out and And that's good in one sense in that it keeps the story in the news, keeps the pressure on investigators, and keeps tips coming in. Um, Then there's another way to look at this story and look at this case, which is on the ground in Moscow, Idaho, and getting a a real understanding of everything that is happening there. So in this podcast, we're going to give you that perspective as well because joining me is Court TV legal correspondent Chanley Painter, who spent a lot of time on the ground in Idaho. Uh, She'll be back out there. um, And she joins us now here on the podcast. Chanley, great to see you.
1: Great to be with you, Vinny. Thanks for having me. What a story now a month in. I can't believe it. We're still here with so many questions unanswered.
0: There are a ton of questions. And I want to start our podcast off here with the one thing that Grabbed, I think, everyone's attention. And it's one thing that has been very consistent from investigators, and that's the nature of this crime. You know, the first thing we heard was it was a crime of passion and someone screamed that out. I think it maybe was the mayor and and everyone's like a crime of passion for college students. What's going on? What's going on? But then we got a little more clarity let's take a listen. I know it's difficult to just throw things out there uh, without kind of that proof and backing for the public. Uh, But what I can say is that we're, we feel very comfortable and confident that this was um, a targeted attack. A targeted attack. Chanley, that's something they've said over and and over again. Yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean to the people out in Moscow? What does that mean? to investigators.
1: Yeah, Minnie, we've tried to dig in, ask the follow-up questions. What exactly leads you guys, the investigators, to believe that this was targeted? And if so, who or what was targeted at that crime scene, at that home, just steps from the campus? And they will not give us details. They say, that the evidence of the location of the home, no forced entry into the home, nothing was stolen from the home, that it was targeted. But there's evidence inside the home, Benny, as you know, that they will not delve into why that leads them to believe it was targeted as well. However, over the weeks of investigating this case and covering it, they've sort of Backed off from whether or not the public should be in fear or vigilant uh, because it is a targeted attack. and we also learned from the prosecutor that they don't know whether or not the target was the residence, the home or its occupants, one or more of the occupants inside the home. so that's what we're left with right now. We still know it's targeted they still believe it's targeted, but we don't know if it's the residents or the people inside?
0: Well, let's start with with the people. And if you could kind of go through each of the victims and kind of outline a little bit about what was going on in their lives and particularly what they were doing that night, you know, because it could be something that happened that night. It could be something in a a larger picture that was going on in their lives. Um, So what do we know? What did you find out on the ground in Moscow?
1: Well, we know that these four victims were heavily involved in the Greek life there at the campus. Uh, we had Nodal and Maddie Mogan were sorority sisters. Kayla Gonzalez was in a sorority. Ethan Chapin was there staying with his girlfriend, Nodal And they had just left the fraternity house where he was a member, literally a block away from this crime scene that night before they were murdered. Uh, Kayla Gonsalves was supposed to graduate over the weekend from the university, had a job lined up. These are young people at the precipice of their entire lives ahead of them. And they were enjoying a typical college weekend. Many of them were going out On a Saturday night, and from what we glean from investigators, they put together sort of timeline of the hours leading up to their murders. We know Kaylee, Gonsalves, and Madison were at a local bar, the Corner Club. I've been there. It's uh, pretty prominent on the corner in downtown Moscow. Uh, No windows. You just kind of walk in. It's a bar of televisions and lots of people that huddle there, I'm sure, on the Saturday night. And then they're also seen at a food truck called the Grub Truck it is also in downtown Moscow, maybe a block or two from the Corner Club, where this food truck would be located. We've all seen the viral Twitch video from that food truck, those last moments of Kaylee and Maddie's lives. They returned home at 1.56 a.m. on November 13th.
0: Was there anything going on? Was there anything going on in their lives? Like, was there any, any um, relationships or grudges or anything that's come to light in the lives of... Any of the four?
1: You know, we have not been privy to any of that. The investigators have it. They have confirmed that they looked into whether or not Kaylee Gonsalves had a stalker based on tips they received and ultimately determined after extensive investigation that was not verified that she had a stalker. They even went into more details about um, an incident involving Kaylee at a local business in October and the two males Seen around her they've eliminated as part of this but other than that we don't we don't know i mean i know you've covered the twitch video where maddie mogan may have cursed at the alleged suspicious young man at the food truck but other than that we don't know any enemies these people would have their families as they've spoken to the media and to the public say they don't know who would ever want to do this to their loved ones
0: it it, yeah it just seems that they're very ordinary, but on the one hand, ordinary college students. But on the other hand, you you mentioned the Greek life. Uh, they're all young and attractive, and I don't know if that is something right that that you have this group of young, attractive women um, who are all living in this house. And did the house have a reputation in in the community? Did they have parties? Would they not let people in? I mean, was there would there be any grudge against? Uh, the, the the young women who were living in this house. You
1: know, this is known as a party house. We spoke on the ground to several neighbors who live next door. And it is common for a lot of people to be in and out of this home. We know that the family of the victims have said that there is, while there is this security key code lock on the front door, some people knew that code because they would have parties and people over all the time. It's a big house. It's three stories. Uh, you know, six people could live in it. Five lived in it at the time, all involved in sorority life. Again, steps from fraternity sorority row on campus. So it was a busy home there. And a lot of people lived around this home too. I mean, there's a lot of neighbors, apartment complexes, neighboring all sides of this home. So, uh, it it wouldn't surprise me. There's tons of DNA from people who maybe just were there the night before partying. Benny at this home, and as many people were in and out.
0: And I'm wondering, you know, is there one or or some person, some man who is who's angry because he couldn't get into a party there, or he got into the party and. Uh, the young women living there wanted no part of him, or could it be a, a, a young woman? I mean, that's something that that I don't think you can eliminate, who is just jealous of of the the lives that, um, you know, the folks inside this house were living. And I, I don't know. I just get the feeling, though, and you were there, that this isn't that type of community. I mean, it could be, but it just seems like it's the type of community where, hey, everybody's kind of... Happy to be there. They're having a good time. They're not concerned. There's there, there's not this this overwhelming you know streak of of envy and things like that. But it but it only takes one person to be that way.
1: Absolutely. This is a small town. Moscow is in a very rural part of Idaho. It's on the border of Washington State. It's a college town. It's like this town was built around this college of around eleven thousand students. Uh, many, only a town of maybe 26, 27,000 residents. It's a very tight knit community and it doesn't take long to get from point A to B. That's why they're walking places or it's just doesn't take long to get anywhere in this town. And again, across the borders, another college, you know, Washington state University is only 20 minutes away. Uh, so that's the vibe in this community and very much around this Greek life, which like you said, is a good point. I mean, There are people who become jealous. Just go look at the social media of these beautiful uh, young women, even Ethan Chapin. They present a lifestyle on social media that could be very envious to a lot of people.
0: Now, another big part of saying that they were targeted is that, as you mentioned, there was no sign of anyone going in there and stealing anything. Um, They were all stabbed. That seems, that's, you know, whenever we talk about cases like that, that seems to be a very personal way, but it's, but it's not just one person who was stabbed, it's four. So what, how big of a factor do we think all of that is, the fact that they were stabbed in bed at night?
1: And that's probably another reason why, like you said, the mayor indicated almost immediately a crime of passion. Of course, prosecutor does not agree with that, does not believe in that. He also has no indication this could be a serial killer. So this is what makes them believe this was personal in some way, because as we know in our true crime world, many stabbing, that is very personal, not just one stab. These are multiple stabs for each of the victims. Some had more wounds than others. Some had defensive wounds, all likely in their bed asleep. With this fixed blade knife that, again, authorities still have yet to recover or find weeks later.
0: I don't know if they'll ever find it. Uh, You know, whoever the killer is has had a month to get rid of this thing. And it could be like anywhere, you know, bodies of water, other places. So we'll see. All right. Chanley Painter uh, was on the ground there. So when we come back, um, I want to give everyone listening a much clearer picture and insight into the immediate area surrounding the house and then what it's like in the house. How do you get in? How do you get out? Where are the different rooms situated? And where were the four victims when they were stabbed and killed in their bed? It's hard to find any words for for any of this. It's just no one should have to go through this.
1: Um, as far as the investigation, no one's been arrested, and they say they don't have suspects. Does that?
0: Yeah, they call me every day and and tell tell us uh, you know they've they're working on uh, how many people are working on it, and that they have these leads and that they're sending stuff in every day so I just have to trust that they're doing as best as good a job as they can and uh yeah they seem like they're they're working hard and that's all I can hope for, you know. Do you have any idea why this
1: could ever happen
0: to your precious baby? Just no, no nothing at all would ever make any sense of this. That's Ben Mogan he lost his daughter Maddie in the quadruple murder. In Idaho, and you can hear the absolute heartbreak in his voice, and that was the first time he spoke publicly uh, about what happened to his daughter. Uh, Chanley Painter, who is with us now, is the one who interviewed him. Um, Chanley, I, I hear that voice, and and I hear a man who sounds extremely broken. This 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 crushes you, crushes you. You send your child off to college, and and this happens?
1: Yeah, Benny, rehearing that takes me back to that moment, standing in front of him, tears in his eyes, trembling. What a brave man to speak, finally. I mean, it was written all over his body. My heart breaks still for for him hearing that. Unbelievable. He, he's a precious person and never deserved to have this happen to him or anyone in his family. He was there with Maddie's grandparents. And uncle, we met them at the Mad Greek restaurant where she was a server along with Zana Kernodal uh, before they were murdered. The restaurant that had to close for a week to grieve itself, the waitress there, uh, uh, still upset when we talked to her. Um, she was a friend that worked with them there. And and yet, uh, you know, Maddie's father said she was the one thing in his life that he was most Proud of, and then he went on later that evening to speak at the vigil, and did so. Um, he really did move that audience of thousands of people.
0: So, what I want to do now, and for people who haven't been there, you've been there, you've walked the ground, you've you've you know, you've seen the crime tape go up, you've seen it taken down, you you've seen where investigators were looking.
1: Mm-hmm. So, let's
0: start with a description first of where the house is and what surrounds the house in that in that part of, of town.
1: So the house when the crimes occurred is steps from the University of Idaho campus. It is in a residential neighborhood area uh, built into a hill. So it kind of goes up into the hill. You can see the campus, you can see Frat Row from this home. And it's on a dead end. Street, so you kind of have to wind around to drive up to where this home is, and then up into an apartment complex where you have to turn around and exit the way that you entered. This home is surrounded by multiple houses and condos complexes with multi residents inside. So there's a lot of people, mostly students, and they all walk to to school to the university steps away. There's a walking path, and that's and then so if you go one way, you're on campus. You go one way, you're out on the highway where. I've shown you that gas station, Vinny. Or if you go another way, you have to wind through more neighborhoods. We got lost a couple of times with dead end streets if you go another way. So that if that gives you a better feel of where this house is located. But it is a very well-known part of campus because, like I said, this is where a lot of people go to party on the weekend.
0: Because you're close to um some of the fraternity homes. There's fraternity row, which is steps away, and plus these houses, which are, you know, you get six potential people could have lived in this house and you had six bedrooms so you could have had six or more living there so you get a, a flavor for it. Um, so as you look at the house, who in 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 that neighborhood from and, and I've seen pictures of it but it's still tough to get a perspective uh, from not being there from whether it's the apartments, or some of the other houses there, who has a view of that house? And what do you see when you look at that house from the different angles?
1: This is a very open house. You can see this house because of the way it's built up a hill, on the hill, then you can see from campus. You can see it from the Sigma Chi house as I stood there on Fraternity Row. You can see this house. So you can see the front of it from campus, from the road. You can see, um, of course, the neighbors can see virtually all angles of this home, especially if the windows don't have any window coverings or blinds. The apartment building that's to the immediate left, if you're facing the front of the home, there's an apartment complex. A lot of people live there. Only a narrow street separates this house from the apartment complex. Has a great uh, view of all parts of the home. In fact, the parking lot of the apartment complex complex extends kind of towards the back and around the side in the back of this home up the hill above it and I know I've shown you this angle so many times on your show and you can literally stand there where there's no street lights it would be pitch black at night uh, there's some trees but it's winter time a lot of the leaves are gone you can see directly into the back of that home both the second floor the third floor the back glass sliding doors uh all sides of this home could be seen, Vinny, uh, from a public or a roadway or a parking
0: spot. So if someone is lurking in the shadows, whether it's someone they knew or someone they never met, if you're looking at and watching the house, it would be obvious when someone turned out the lights at night and there was no one walking around?
1: Yes, Vinny. Uh, you can... and. As we were on the ground, we could see the investigators, the detectives focusing in on certain parts of this home, especially the backside up the hill where this apartment complex parking area would be. They would stand there and stare back towards the home. They would kind of kneel down um, and stare back towards the home. Yes, you can You could follow someone's movements, uh, lights turning on and off from the floor, second floor or the third floor, even the front of the home. You can see that as well. Uh, So it's very apparent. And even while we were there, I mean, we, we, we stalked the investigators as they turned on lights and turned off lights and went and looked through the windows. So definitely someone, if they were lurking, this would be an easy target.
0: All right. Now explain to us from your observations on the ground in Moscow, The different ways a killer could enter that home.
1: So this house has two entries that you could access from the ground floors, which from the outside, the front door, which we know early on and the authorities released in press releases was wide open when they responded to that home after the 911 call, November 13th, that front door, even though there was a security lock on the door, like I said earlier, many people knew that. Was it even locked? Authorities don't even know because it was wide open when they got there. That's the basement or first level entry of the home where the two surviving roommates lived. They were unharmed, as you know, survived. Now, if you go up the stairs, the second floor, again, this house built into a hill, the second level would be the ground level on the back side of the home where we've all seen the slider door, glass slider door entrance from that level on the second floor. That would be the second way someone can enter from the ground.
0: That's off the patio, right? There's a cement patio right. and it's covered by a deck that's on that third floor.
1: Exactly. And that deck does have also a glass slider door, but again, you would have to have a ladder or something to reach the deck,
0: third floor. How about any windows in this house?
1: Lots of windows. and yeah, A lot of them don't have window coverings, not only the glass sliding doors, but the windows next to the glass sliding doors. We personally observed police fingerprinting, dusting for fingerprints on that window next to the back door. There's windows. Every room in the house has a window all around. So there's plenty of windows that could be accessible from ground level. So you wouldn't have to actually have a ladder or a climb anything to reach a window.
0: Now let's take everyone inside the home. Because I know you, you've studied um, from observing on the ground and from taking a look at real estate photos and
1: yes.
0: taking a look at all the, the limited evidence that has come out, but social media postings that some of the young women made from inside that home. Mm-hmm. So give us the layout and where the victims were at the time they were murdered.
1: Yeah, like I said, the first the surviving roommates on the first level. If you go to the, to the second level, there's there are two bedrooms. If you're facing the front of the home, the bedroom to the right would have been Zana Kernodle's room, where Ethan Chapman would have been with her in that room. The other floor on the second, uh, the other room on the second floor would have been empty. That sixth person who did not live there any longer. Up on the third floor, based on our observations on the ground, we could see. On the third floor, pink cowgirl boots and a pink letter M in the window. We presume that's Maddie Mogan's room, of course. Now, based on TikTok, social media postings, the room on the third floor with the glass sliding door on that patio porch is uh, Kaylee Gonzalez's. She's posted videos from that room that we can tell. So that's, but we also know, Vinny, that according to Kaylee's father, uh, Kaylee and Maddie were murdered in Maddie's room, in the bed, the same bed, at the same time, on the third
0: floor. And to get to the third floor bedroom, do you have to walk in front of the bedroom where Ethan and Xana were murdered on that second floor?
1: No, that's the baffling part and, and the sort of bizarre part about this thing is because if this person entered either on the first floor or the second floor back door... They would have had to go to the back staircase to reach the third floor and then come back to the front of the house, down the hallway, past the bathroom laundry area to Zanna's room. There was no, it was go, this person had to go out of his or her way to reach Zana in Ethan's room.
0: That's, it's, it, every time I hear that, I think, well, someone wanted to kill as many people as possible in there unless they went up to the third floor, committed the murder, something startled someone on the second floor, and maybe they're making noise and then they decide to go into that bedroom. Uh, Either way, it seems like there may have been an opportunity for the murderer to get out if the first two murders were on the third floor, but we just don't know that answer yet. And uh, I don't know if we'll know it until we figure out who and why um, this quadruple murder took place. So Chanley Painter is with us. She spent lots of time in Moscow, Idaho, investigating this case. When we come back, that's where we're going to shift. We're going to shift to the investigation. What have we learned uh, from Moscow police? What have they told us? What have they released? What are they looking for? And I'm also going to play a little piece of a body cam video that a lot of people are talking about. People say they hear something in this video. And I'm going to play it for you so you can make up your own mind, but I'm not going to tell you what to listen for. I'm just going to play it for you, and and we'll see what your take is on it, just listening to it without any sort of um, focus. This is the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinnie Politan. We'll be back with Chanley right after this. A sign. get we'll you on your way, okay? There it is, folks. Did you hear anything? Did you notice anything in that clip? That's from some body cam footage. There were officers who were speaking to some students uh, at around 3, 12 a.m. All right. I'll play it for you one more time. Listen closely. There's a lot of chatter online about this clip. Chanley Painter is with us. Chanley, I I know I sent it to you. We've played it for you a couple more times here. Um, We know the way uh, the Internet works and any little piece, people will go through it. Yes. And sometimes they may find things. They may see things. They may hear things. And sometimes they're just hearing Mm -hmm. things that aren't actually there. When I sent that to you, did you hear anything?
1: I did. Now, when you played it here, I didn't, but I heard it when you sent it to me earlier. It sounded like a scream right before the officer starts talking in this video.
0: A very faint. Yes. It's a. It's it's in the background. Yes. Um, this body cam footage. This this is when they're in that area. That's in between. It's in between the fraternities and where the homes are. Right.
1: Yes. I want to talk about this because. They're in a field called Band Field that is probably 50 yards from the home. Maybe like half a football field or even a football field away. That would have to be a really loud scream from inside a home Vinny, to make it that far to hear on a police body cam. So that's where I'm a little incredulous on that. Maybe what it is, but hey, it's possible. Yeah. And if it is true, it is a scream because it is so faint. And that definitely helps piece together a timeline, right?
0: Absolutely. This would this would put the time of the murder at 312 if if this is what it is. And I know everyone right now is like, can you play it one more time now that we know what we're listening for?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. We'll play it one more time. It's very faint. It's very quick. Uh, but is it a scream or is it just an arbitrary noise in in, in the nights, in the nighttime? sound that maybe, you know, could be anything, could be anything, could be nothing. But here it is. I don't know, but people are talking about it. I'm sure investigators um, have listened and watched this body cam, you know, even closer than we have. Um, We'll see. We'll see if anything comes of it. Um, The most fascinating part of this investigation, though, Chanley, is how quickly People have been ruled out. And I think that's a good thing as long as it's as long as it's, you know, based upon real facts, real evidence that, hey, there's no way this person could be responsible because of a, a case of this nature, it could put some people in the spotlight who are innocent and then are going to be, you know, penalized by just rumors, et cetera. So I think that's um, that's a good idea to clear people when you can. Let's take a listen to, to some of the folks who've been cleared, and then we'll take have you tell us who they who they are. We do not believe the following individuals are
1: involved in this crime. The two surviving roommates. A male seen at the grub truck food vendor downtown, specifically wearing a white hoodie. A private party who provided...
0: Uh, rides home to Kaylee and Madison in the early morning hour of November 13th. And right out of the box, these were obvious places to look, right? So let's start with the, the two surviving roommates. Um, have they spoken? Have they said anything? Um, how have they reacted to this? Because I can't imagine being in their shoes. Me
1: neither, Because there's, there's
0: got to be survivor's guilt and everything that comes along with that.
1: Absolutely. Understandably, they have not spoken publicly. There was a youth pastor who read a couple of written statements from these two surviving roommates during memorial vigil type service. Other than that, they have not. Uh, There's been uh, people kind of resharing maybe some social media posts that they got a tattoo in memory of their roommates, just some things like that, but no, uh, no speaking publicly, but authorities say they have been very, very cooperative with the investigation and are probably some of the most important witnesses. Obviously, they were in the home at the time these murders happened.
0: And and that's the other part, right? So we go back to what we just listened. Like If, if that's a scream that you can hear a football field away in the background of a police body cam, I, I, I would think unless you're wearing some sort of headphones or something when you sleep, or you're very, very deep sleeper, if that scream's coming from within the house where you live, it would wake you up
1: exactly. It'd be really loud inside that home a scream uh, there they are in a basement, but the staircase isn't there's not a door that would separate the floors in this home. So unless, like you said, they are wearing earphones, have some noise cancellation, or a white noise, or a fan going when they're trying to sleep. Because again, I have, I spoke to several neighbors who do that in that neighborhood, Vinny, to drown out the party noise that goes on in the neighborhood. Because it's not uncommon to hear a scream or shout for joy, or you know, just party noise.
0: Right. And there was one neighbor who came out a little bit later on and said, oh, yeah, I thought I heard a scream, but I didn't mm-hmm. make much of it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. We we saw that as well and didn't think anything of it because it was pretty common, especially on a party night in that neighborhood.
0: Wow. All right. Now, um, let's get to the male scene at the grub truck food vendor wearing the white hoodie. Um this guy was on everyone's radar from the beginning as well. So I could understand why they would want to investigate him. And if he, if he was cleared, clear him as quickly as possible.
1: Right, Benny. And he's still under a lot of suspicion. If you look online, even though police say they have cleared him, but I think it's also important to note that in the most recent update, they they've been saying that they're re-entering people, Benny, that maybe they have already interviewed or cleared.
0: That's significant. You, you, You know, you got to go back and double check because you're finding out more information. You go back to people and um, maybe things that weren't important before all of a sudden become a little bit more important. And then the private party who provided the rides, you know, we've we've unfortunately covered the rideshare murder trial, I think, more than once now. And um, that has happened. So that's an important person to clear as well, because from the food truck, we see them disappear from the streaming video. Uh, but apparently they got a ride from someone.
1: They did. So apparently their sororities provide uh, driving services. You know, it's such a small town. There's not the quickly available Uber or Lyft. I've been, I was there for three weeks. <laughs> we we got to know the local transportation, which were, was a local cab company that was very reliable, friendly, you know them, they're your next door neighbor. They pick you up, they make sure you get home or wherever you're going. Uh, so that was more common in that town than well, we know Uber or Lyft or anything like that. But it is interesting, of course, on a weekend, your sororities want to make sure their um, their sisters get home safely. So that's what this private service was.
0: And that driver has been cleared as well. So, yes, um, I, again, this is I think it's significant in a case like this, because if you end up, you know, as the person that's the focus of everyone's suspicion, it could destroy your life. Exactly. It could destroy your life. And we, we've we seen that with the Olympic bombing in Atlanta years ago. Yes. Richard Jewel, his life was turned upside down. But that wasn't the Internet doing it. That was like, I don't know, the FBI. <laughs> exactly. So that was that was problematic. Um, OK, so let's move on to another piece of the investigation. And this is seems to be a pretty big focus recently. Um, it, it's a, a particular vehicle they're looking for. Let's listen.
1: There's been a lot of questions about the white car that we've been interested in. We're looking for that car because we believe through our investigation that that car was in the area during the time of the murders. And we also believe that the occupant or occupants may have seen something. They may not know they have seen something. So we specifically want to talk to them and we want to know uh, who they are and what they might know or might be able to contribute to the investigation.
0: Okay, here's why I'm suspicious, Chanley, of the people in this car. Because if you're in that car... You know if you have a white Hyundai, and you know if you were in the area that night. So, you know, within 10 minutes of them making this announcement, you should be coming forward. Yeah. This should not be a difficult search if you're just looking for a witness. Yeah. That's why I think this is extremely significant. I agree. Right? I mean... If if I was in that, if you and I were in that car, right, we were getting back, coming back from the Sigma Chi party or whatever, and we're driving through the neighborhood. And then, Chandler, you would call me up and say, Vinny, you have the Hyundai. Remember, we were there. I said, oh, yeah, let's call the police. Let's let them know. I don't remember, I didn't remember seeing anything. Right. But no one's come forward.
1: It's crazy. Yes. If I even had a white car in the area, I would come forward and say, just in case, I know it's not a Hyundai Elantra, but here's my white car. I was out. I mean, if you have nothing to hide, what is stopping you from doing that? I, you know what you drive? Uh, You may have critical information and it's very suspicious and it's odd to me. And weeks into the investigation, releasing this piece of information makes us think there's more to it. Right.
0: Oh, there's there has to be unless this person is completely oblivious to what is happening. Right. And and I'm I'm thousands and thousands of miles away from Moscow. But if you're anywhere in that area, this is it. This is the story. This is this is overshadowing everything. And there's no way that whether um, someone, you know, someone like, let's say a friend of yours knows. Oh, yeah. My friend Johnny, he's got a white uh, Hyundai. You would talk to him and say, hey, were you there that night?
1: Well, what if you were doing something illegal? And you don't want to come forward. Who cares? Let's help solve the murder. Police aren't interested in what illegal things you may have been doing in your white car. Right.
0: I th- To me, this is so extremely significant and suspicious at the same time. And it's and the other thing this tells me is that this is a this is an intense investigation because uh, they've picked up information that this car was in the area. They don't have a license plate. They don't have a tag number. But they they know the make and model pretty closely, which tells me it's got to be like ring video, surveillance video, or perhaps it, it could be an eyewitness. It also could be an eyewitness that saw the car in the area. Anyway, any which way, why aren't they coming forward?
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, come forward with the information. If you were doing something you shouldn't have been doing, like drinking underage, police don't care about that. They're trying to make that very clear. Still, come forward. Or maybe this is the person. Yeah. There are, remember those, remember those tire tracks mini that we showed you? Yes. They measured. I wonder if those would fit a Hyundai Elantra tire. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't know.
0: I think it's significant. And I think, I think, you know, sometimes you put two plus two together. And sometimes it equals four. I mean, could it be that obvious that they're lo- we're looking for this car. You may have some information. Maybe you saw something or maybe you're actually the killer and we're just trying to find you. Um, yeah, this is, I think this is huge. Um, I don't know what the rules are on, on campus for registering cars. If you're a, if you're a student, but I'm sure they're looking at that. And I'm sure they have access to the database for anyone from Idaho. Who's got that type of car. It's, it's a huge list, but it's not insurmountable. It's Idaho. It's not Florida. It's not California. It's not Texas. You know, there's not as many people living there. So I, I think you, you could narrow things down and then start just looking. I mean, put one person on the, on the Hyundai Elantra. That's it. That's your job. You've got to go through everyone that exists to anyone registered to this type of car in the state of Idaho.
1: Yeah, I agree. They have an army, like the police chief said this week, they have an army of investigators, all different agencies dedicate. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they they're on it. We trust.
0: All right. Before we go, um, overall take of of how this has impacted the community and the remaining people who live there and the students who go to school there
1: yeah many this being in the community for weeks like i was this is the elephant in the room everyone knows about it of course they may not feel comfortable always talking about it but it's weighing heavily. It's like a fog over not just the campus, but the entire town. They don't want to be known for this. They don't want to be known for this. They want it to be solved and they're being extra vigilant. They are scared. Uh, It's frightening to be in the town knowing a mass murderer is on the loose, even though that person may not be in the town any longer. It's scary that something like that. So evil could happen in what is like a Hallmark movie town. You can go downtown. It looks like a perfect, pristine, small-town America home uh, with students. And it, it's so tragic and unfortunate. And they're just really, really hungry for some answers. But at the same time, I see them respecting the process.
0: And the other part of this is they say targeted, but targeted by a serial killer. Is this a potential serial killer who may prey on someone else in some other city close by or far away. We we just don't know. We don't know the answers. I think it would be easier to solve if the, if it was targeted to the the particular residents because of something that happened between them. I think that would be an easier case to, to solve, but I don't know if, if DNA does it in this case, DNA, if you capture someone could help you prosecute the case. But if the killer left DNA behind and the killer has never been arrested before and they and their relatives aren't hanging out on 23 and me. there's there's not going to be any source to compare this to until you catch someone and then when you catch someone you make the comparison then you lock them down at trial. but to get there, I think this thing gets solved by yeah. either um, a witness coming forward or making some connection. To what was happening in the lives of one or more of these four victims but we shall see chanley painter spending a lot of time with us here on the court tv podcast thank you so much thanks Vinnie. we will speak again uh in all your travels around the country uh, covering the nation's biggest trials and and biggest uh, uh, true crime cases i'm Vinny politan i want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast and downloading uh check the show notes we'll have some links to uh parts of this story and you can always find out more by going to courttv.com and by watching my show every night from 8 to 10 on court tv your front row seat to justice i'm vinny politan thanks again uh have a great week and as always please don't forget to hug the kids podcast is a production of court tv go to courttv.com for more content Trials on Demand, and to find out how to watch Core TV in your area.